Hi, my name is Sarah Bentley Pearson, and I am excited to share my podcast, which features wonderful talent that I've been so lucky to discover in the Southeast. This was born out of a list that I created in 2015 called Sarah's List, and through my work in real estate, which I've been doing since 2005, and styling work, and just my personal life and my personal interests, I've been able to meet so many wonderful people, and I'm excited to share them with you. So, Anna, I'm so excited that you're here. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, great. I mean, I, I you know, I, I feel excited because I've been able to meet so, so many great people, and you're at the top of the list. Uh, I think I met you about 20 years ago with David Willega. Yeah, that's Remember? true. In the gallery. In the yes. gallery. He, he told me about your gallery. So he and I were neighbors, and I had started collecting art, but... You know, my, my first intro, introduction to collecting art was with my ex-husband, and we we went to the Museum of Modern Art, you know, those guys that sell outside. Yes. But we ended up meeting a man named Guy Lassan, and he had a studio in Soho, and we ended up buying a painting from him, and we really liked him, and then he, he made a painting for me as our wedding present, and that's where it sort of started. But I didn't really, I was too young to think about collecting on any sort of serious manner. And uh, David Lulega came over to my house and said, uh, let me take you to introduce you to Jackson Fine Art. Well, you know, Sarah, I think even having that experience with your ex-husband with Wes and being in New York and meeting someone on the street and suddenly ending up in their studio and buying something, that's sort of the, the best way to, to start that process because what's so beautiful about collecting art or being involved in art is just the organic nature of meeting people that are interested and then the person that introduces you to someone else and just like with David, because I mean, I grew up in a small town in Augusta, Georgia and there was no collecting happening there. There was no art really. I grew up in a very conservative family and my first introduction really to art was in college when I started studying art history. Um, but really understanding the business of art didn't happen until later, and even understanding collecting in general. But did your parents take you to museums? You know, they didn't. They didn't take They didn't, me. so you really they didn't, didn't take me train your eye until you were like in college? Well, and I, I like to credit my eye. I have a, a grandmother who um, is from Valdosta, Georgia, and her name is Fanny Bird, and in her 1939 she took off by herself to New York and went to Parsons and lived at the Barbizon and she was a painter oh, and wow. an illustrator mm -hmm. so she was fiercely independent and worked for she graduated from Harper's early on as an illustrator at the same time that now I'm realizing it's the same time that a lot of the photographers I represent were there um, under the art direction of Alex uh, Brokovich. And then she moved back to Atlanta. Met, well, she met my grandfather in, um, uh, in New York. He was in medical school and doing his residency at Bellevue. And they moved to Atlanta and she started a family, where, which is where his family was from. And she continued to do her art through the um, uh, what was the High Museum before the Atlanta Art um, uh, kind of ACA? She studied under Ben Shute and did portraits, and but was part of the society in Atlanta. 
but she passed away when I was 12. So I didn't really know her that way. I knew she was an artist, but I think it's more innate. Like I just, I've been searching for who I am and I found it. I think it was just one of those things that was already in me. I just kind of put myself at the right place at the right time. Yeah, I, I always find it interesting how people end up and what, what drove them there. And I think my interest in art came from, I grew up in a family where they had family portraits. And they were pretty good family portraits. They yeah. weren't like cheesy ones with a lady with the dog by the fireplace. I mean, right. they were like, you know, real we Europe. Europe right? Yeah, but the, my, my stepfather was from a fancy family in Providence where they right. actually had money to get right. proper painting paintings but it, it was not my style it was really dry and sort of a little scary and then but my mom was an art history buff and so she took us around to all the museums so I was put in front of Leonardo da Vinci's and stuff at a young age and my mom would you know take us to the Museum of Modern Art and say that's a Rothko and this is a Jasper Johns and you, you know, you don't really realize a lot of people don't get that. No, they don't. It, and and, that's and it's so important. It's so important. And it's, um, it really did help you develop an eye and be really open to different kinds of art and not limit yourself and kind of really trust your own eye. On yeah. And I mean, I wouldn't consider myself, you know, an art aficionado. I, you know, as you know, I've had a few clients ask me to help them. I think it's more on my eye, but I really trust you. And I wanna, I, I wanna like stay on track with, um, I know that you worked for Todd Murphy. Yes. And um, were you helping him sell his paintings? So, so I went to UGA, studied, that's where I st started studying art history. I was really interested in the history of architecture and, um, and didn't really know maybe do historical restoration, but I, my mother at the time was living in Atlanta. So I would come to Atlanta during, um, the holidays and I got a job at Cafe Intermezzo as a hostess. The and one down near the movie theater in Midtown? The one that was on Peachtree, right? Oh, it was, it was near Brooklyn Hills and yes, all that. Okay. Yes. Right. So when I worked there, Todd and he had a group of, you know, it's Todd Murphy, Tony Hernandez, Scott Cohen, they would sit and have coffee and, you know, be there at night. And that's how I first met Todd, was working there. And then I went and saw one of his first exhibitions when I was in college at Lowe mm -hmm. Gallery. And when I graduated, um, I moved directly to San Francisco. Um, I had a, a cousin that lived there. and. I worked for Cheryl Haynes, my first real job in the art world, contemporary art gallery. And um, and then uh, that was, you know, at that point, Todd and I were corresponding and he just said, if you ever move back to Atlanta, you have a job. And so oh, wow. that's simply after a year being in California. And I, actually the Haynes Gallery is a, a very, very respected contemporary art gallery. One of my first shows um, was with Dennis Offenheim and Andy Goldsworthy, um, but I was 21 years old and didn't have any experience and she needed a salesperson. So after a year, I got shifted out of the gallery and, um, and I worked, there was a space down in San Francisco for a lot of people that were unemployed during that time. It was called South Park and a couple of office buildings and I wrote for a cafe journal with the writer David Eggers and some other people that were unemployed at the time that were all kind of congregating. 
And just one day after being in San Francisco for a little over a year, I thought, you know, I'm gonna go back south and go home. And, um, and that's when I wrote Todd and said, okay, I'm ready. And so I moved back to Atlanta and, and worked for him in his studio. And when I came to the studio, it was 10,000 square feet. It was the old mattress factory on MLK in like 93. And um, yeah, there are a lot of artists living down there and Todd just needs someone to organize him uh, make him somewhat accountable for getting up every day and working a full day and you know I mean really everyone who's in my life a number of people that I've met are still in my life from that time mm -hmm. and he was a, a wonderful a giant to watch you know create these incredible paintings and this these installations and to be part of that and the collectors that came through so that was sort of my first entree into working for an artist. I mean, I'd worked for the gallery and it was so stiff and I, you know, I have to say, maybe that's not what I would have wanted to do, but then when I was able to be on the other side and really be part of the creative process and see this work being made. And really one thing that Todd taught me is how to see things differently. And he really, you know, taught me when I would look at a line or look at a drawing, which, you know, by the way, I think his drawings are some of the most um, interesting um, part of his work and his sculptures but the paintings were always initially started with a scene and a photograph he would use a Polaroid and take, set up a scene and then he would take the negative or the print from that Polaroid and print parts of it and make the piece and they were very very much about story storytelling and otherworldly they were they were all narratives that he would almost like you know different um, ideas of horses on the ground with oars or you know a girl cut in half or you know a, a figure on stilts with a birthday cake on his head i mean there were just a number of different really interesting um allegories and, and references to art history and it was it was a really magical and it was a magical time in atlanta chastity post had an incredible gallery here at the time and there was a, a great you know movement in music in Atlanta in the 90s um, a lot of really interesting musicians came out of Atlanta um, uh, ACA the art um, Atlanta College of Art produced a number of amazing artists as well like Kara Walker and Roe Etheridge and um, you know it, it was just Carolyn Carr that was just a really um, Pretty interesting time to be here mm -hmm. kind of an underground music scene as well which was really fascinating and that all kind of centered around where he was on MLK and that whole area it was fascinating but that was my first you know that's where I met a lot of collectors and a lot of different artists in Atlanta during that time yeah I, I, I was later to all that so I you know not being from yeah. Atlanta I didn't yeah. really know that much about Atlanta and when I first moved here I thought to my from an outsider looking in, I just thought, this is the most superficial town. It's just strip malls, you know, it's residentially beautiful, yeah. but it's kind of ugly. And then as I've seen the city evolve, it's, you know, created some more beautiful places like where we are now that feel, you know, just a great restaurant. It doesn't feel like it's in a strip mall, but I, you know, so much of cities is once you get to know people and you really see the, see what's happening. And I felt I feel so fortunate to this day that I met David and David brought me in to meet you. And he told me about the story how you 
ended up acquiring the gallery from Jane Jackson. Yes, yes. So when when Todd ended up moving to Virginia with his wife and child, um, I had to kind of figure out what my next move was. And he introduced me to Jane. And at the time, Jane was looking for a gallery director. And although I had some, you know, living in San Francisco, I'd seen some really beautiful exhibitions um, in photography, like Helen Levitt. And I was, you know, dating someone at the time who was really interested in like Eggleston and a lot of photographers. So I was following the photography route, but I didn't really know Jackson Fine Art. And Todd brought me to the gallery and I met Jane and she was looking for a director. Um, and at that point, that was in 97, I um, ended up starting working for her. And, you know, she is really the, you know, one of the earlier photography dealers, at least here in Atlanta, there was another fellow before her, but um, she really knows her, um, her, her history and she understands she was having amazing shows early on. Sally Mann, Irving Penn, Sally Mann's work in 1996 was, you know, under $1,000. Oh, wow. Um, 94, when she did her first immediate family show, I wasn't here at that time, which I was, but um, she was really representing just the blue chip, showing the work that you would normally would not, you know, be able to see. She had an incredible roster of artists. So to be able to learn and understand, you know, the medium of photography under her and to watch the changes over the last, you know, 25 years and how the medium and how the market has changed. Um, has been really fascinating, um, but she, you know, one of our collectors, or her collectors, was um, Sterling John, and he had come in um, uh, before I started working there and started building his collection, and, um, you know, he at one point had, had collected so much work that he's, you know, needed a curator, and at that time, um, Jane's children were getting older and, you know, to, to sort of be his curator and work for him and help um, not only continue to build his collection but care for it was something that she was interested do in doing. So I was able at that time to find a financial partner to help me to purchase. Um, so someone I met through Todd again, a guy named Andy Heyman who was working in technology and he was always interested in the, because of Todd, um, the fabric of Atlanta and, and art and culture and always wanted to be part of that and this was a, a good partnership and we've been partners for almost it'll be 20 years in March of 2023. Wow well, I mean I knew I knew who Sally Mann was and some of the greats but uh, you know I didn't really know anything about collecting photography and um, after meeting David I you know was thinking of buying something from a friend who was an art dealer in New York. And um, I went to uh, an art symposium over at um, Faye Gold's gallery. She yeah. had some big collectors there just to sort of talk about collecting. And the theme that came up for me was buy what you love and buy from reputable dealers that you can trust. And at the time, you knew I was had come to see the Rude Van Empel piece. Yes. and my ex-husband sort of poo-pooed on it right. when it was still very affordable. And after going to that symposium, I thought, I really feel like I, I need this photograph. And 
there's something really special. So you remember I called you and you're like, well, bad news. Christian Louboutin is collecting him now. And so it was this and now it's three times as much. And uh, that's when I first got trusted my instincts. Right. Um, right. And really felt like, you know, I, I should, I should. I should do this more and um, it's been something I've really loved learning with you but I guess what I'm circling back about is that I didn't really understand that um, by buying photography from somebody like you that of course you know I don't buy anything thinking it's like the stock market but it is always kind of cool to know that it you know has some real value and yeah I mean I think that you know when you're collecting and today is such a different story in collecting than it was 15, 20 years ago because of you know technology and the internet and the way people are marketing or showing work. Um, and I think that it can be really challenging because the world has opened up, just like I'm sure with real estate and other markets. Um, but I think Being that, that there's you know there's such a little amount so, of talent and so many people coming at it. There's well no there's just a lot of work out there. So mm -hmm. if you're new and navigating the system, it's like where do I start? How do I start? Mm -hmm. Even if you're an artist, um, starting the the um, you know starting this process. And you know today, I'm dealing um, whereas you know before before the internet we do a lot of sales on the internet and before we you know sold when people walked in the door then we sold at art fairs then we sold on the internet now there's a whole new world of selling um you know uh jpegs as assets as nfts and right that's an entirely that's fascinating um world that is very separate from the collector print world where you're actually physically getting a print and there's a whole nother world of collectors that are priding themselves um, uh, on images, whether they're moving or still. Um, and it really is like a, a, it's a wild, wild west for photographers these days and their JPEGs and how they're, um, and I, I've literally, you know, I guess NFT, the first time I heard it was you know, six months ago. And now I'm having probably two or three meetings a day around the understanding with my artists kind of guiding and advising them around that whole world because it's a very different concept and for younger people that are you know already working in cryptocurrency and with ethereum and with minting and understand that language for us old timers here totally it's, it's you know it's people like yeah you know, i spoke to someone recently they're like well if i cook a really good dinner and you can't taste it or smell it or eat it well i don't want to buy it and I was like, well, I'll tell you why. And so I've got to kind of convince people to kind of understand that whole world. And that's something that's very new to me. And it's really, one hand, it's very against everything I am, which is people and connections in terms of like the physical. But again, on the other hand, it's about a different kind of connection I'm learning about and trying to support and be really open to. And, um, uh, and I think that's, you know, one of the messages, it, it's just like the day someone walked into the gallery and said, oh, I'd like to sell you a G-Clay print. And I was like, a G-Clay, we're not buying, we're not going to be showing G-Clay prints. And a G-Clay is nothing, nothing, no different than a pigment print, which is, you know, which is a digitally printed inkjet print, which is very much part of the photography world today. So I say never say never. You know, right. I mean, I, 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 I'm fairly understanding what you're saying about that, but I do think that NFT, if I were an artist, 
you know, the fact that they have ownership on the piece as it continues to move, uh, that the whole concept is that if they, they get a they, they get a cut essentially yeah, every a, time like it keeps going. Yeah, so a royalty yeah. on not the physical piece but on the, the digital work. And but people need to understand that, you know, digital JPEG from a photographer, whoever's purchasing and owns it on the blockchain they don't own any copyright. They can't make t-shirts, not the only one. They only own a JPEG that's on the blockchain. It's not like I couldn't take that same JPEG, take a screenshot on it and put it on my TV. I just couldn't tell someone honestly that I own this JPEG on the blockchain, but I could do the same thing. So it's a whole different, and, and it's a whole different, you know, this is a wild west. So however you want to create you know, the smart contract or the minting of it, the, the, the rules behind it are sort of what you decide. And so some people will create an NFT where, where it is the only one and you do have ownership of it and you can do whatever you want with it. You can print it, you can mm -hmm. do whatever, mm -hmm. but then there are other variables of what an ownership is. Mm -hmm. So I think people in that world that are buying NFTs really need to understand what they're buying and maybe they do. And people in my world that are, that are watching my artists sell NFTs need to really kind of go through all that process so that they fully understand what what that's going to look like in five or ten years. Well, it's fascinating, and you know, and I know it just more from from you that oh, this print is one of twenty five or that's one, right. of, and you know, I have had people say to me, oh, do you want to buy this photograph? And I say, well, is it is it numbered? And they say no, and then I'm not interested, and that's about the extent of my understanding. Well, I think that, that if it's not numbered, if it's someone who's photographing, if you love black and white early works of artists like Cartier-Bresson or Elliot Erwitt, um, you know, these guys were photographing, they never numbered their prints. Mm. So they were all out, either there's a vintage print, which means that, you know, the guy went out to photograph for Life magazine and they made the print and the print went to the editor and the editor scanned it and used it in the newspaper. That, first printing is essentially known as vintage within the first year or so. And it may not have been a perfect print, it may have dings in it, etc. but there is a value to that. Later, as photography became more popular, these photographers couldn't really go back and say, how many have I printed? And so there are, you know, someone like Cartier-Bresson has, uh, and Elliot Erwitt, their most famous images, there could be two or 300 of the images printed or sold out. However, more the, the value is in the, the silver gelatin print. It's the most popular image. So, you know, it really depends on the nature of the work, whether it was edition, because editioning didn't happen until later. I mean, mm -hmm. Ansel Adams edition, edition of 100, but the, these editioning didn't happen until, you know, Irving Penn in the 70s, 80s. Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of work that was made prior to that. Mm -hmm. that you know, is an addition and it does still have value. But then, I mean, some, does somebody own the negative somewhere, like the estate? Well, the, the, artist, the artist owns the, the negative mm -hmm. and then the estate um, either puts it in an archive or, you know, then you're dealing with this whole idea of after the artist passes away, how is the negative being handled and is it more being printed posthumously and what is the value of that? And that's a whole another conversation because some artists, Deanne Arbus passed away early on and her additions never were fulfilled. So in order to keep her family, you know, um, supported, 
you know, she had someone, her prints were printed and sold posthumously. Same thing with Gordon Parks. There were, you know, there are prints of his that are now sold posthumously. Um, and you can typically tell when they are sold posthumously, there's an addition on them. And then you have an estate overseeing it, so they're not like, 50, you know, 50, they're not posters. Right. So mm -hmm. then there are photography businesses out there that are also selling posters. So, you, you, know, you know, 300, you have to just kind of understand the market, understand the secondary market and what has value and what doesn't. So you don't want to walk into a house and say, oh my God, look, they have a Cartier-Bresson. And then it's just a poster, mad at, you know, right. there's, there's all these, you know, rules around the signature, the stamp, the paper type, like all these details that authenticate work. Now you have the blockchain that essentially authenticates the ownership of a JPEG basically, or a piece of, piece of art digitally. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating and it, it's very complex. So going back to a reputable dealer, you know, is yeah. sort of what it seems like. I mean, if you're just, I mean, if you're in New York in front of the Metropolitan Museum of Art and somebody's selling some little photographs there, who cares? But if you're really trying to invest in art and yeah. and build a real collection, you know, you need to go to somebody that can guide you because it seems like, I, I wanted to mention this because I loved this movie, The Lost Leonardo. Have you seen it? You know what? I have, I have not seen it. I need to see it. it it's so fascinating, but there, you know, there's so much about the art world. You know, there's all this snobbery around the, around the art world, which, you know, I think is super interesting, but it's like, you know, people are buying fakes all the time and not realizing it, but also just how they found this, they think it's a Leonardo da Vinci and how it, it jumped in such incredible value. And I guess that's why I was asking you, you were saying what the world has opened up and um, that there's so much out there, but you know, I feel like, and, and I'm curious to hear your point of view, that there isn't so much good work out there. There's a lot of work, but there's a lot of junk out there yeah, too. I, I think so. And I think that, you know, there are places like um, reputable art fairs. There's a lot of, you know, great dealers. Um, you know, what you can look at what museums are collecting. Um, there's, you know, there's ways to really understand, um, you know, what should we be looking at? You know, I know a number of, of great dealers in New York, if someone came to me and said they wanted to collect painting, I would say, okay, you know, X, Y, and Z. It's not my wheelhouse. I can't give you any information on that, but these are, you know, this is a place maybe, these are some galleries or some dealers you should take a look at. Um, and typically I can find them through, you know, um, art fairs or I, I can, you know, I see kind of what's happening on the outside, but even in photography, especially with, um, you know, uh, the internet and people selling and people printing and, you know, you do need some navigating. And I think that um, it is, uh, it's smart to, to Talk to someone that you trust to um, to follow certain galleries and what they're doing to go to an art fair. Um, the whole NFT thing. I'm still. I mean, I was talking to an artist today because I'm here to not only steward the work but also to steer the artist in the right direction and the collector in the right direction. And you know, this new world is something I don't know. Some you know, it looks like fake money. I mean, these artists are dropping you know, 60 to 70 JPEGs and 
you know, walking in their their crypto wallets somewhere around, you know, like $190,000 in four minutes. And I'm like, you know what? I've been working for 30 years building and working this gallery. There's no way I can give you, make you 190,000 in, in four minutes. Is that real? Is it not? And just working through the psychology of all of that. And so that's where, where my place is for my artists and, and for my, my client is to help be realistic and, you know, um, either advise them to jump on that train or to sit back or just to trust their instincts. And, um, and I think that, that what I have seen in the art world and the photography world is that things do level out and there's just the tried and true photographers that are not trying to, you know, make a quick buck, but they're, they're using it. They use an NFT to fund another project. Um, it's kind of how I'm seeing it. It's a, it's a nice way to say, you know, it's hard to get funding. This is like a Kickstarter. But I also think that ultimately artists will be artists and they're going to want to make work and they're going to want to print it and show it and exhibit it. Um, and, you know, how do I support them in doing that? And how do I guide collectors, you know, into, and for me to, to teach a collector what to buy, it's so beautiful because like, just like you, what you've built, suddenly you walk in your house and you, and you realize that, you know, Sarah, you're the artist. You're the one that picked this work and you've become the curator of this collection without you even being aware of it. Mm -hmm. Because every piece that's in this house defines part of you. And that's, that's part of what I love and what I do. Well, I, I know, and I guess um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, I know you work with some interior designers and I feel, uh, you know, being in real estate, but just being a person who loves art and beautiful things that when I walk into a home that has clearly been curated and they have a whole look going and then there's there's no significant art on the wall, it feels sort of, sad and I love how um, like Melanie Turner has, works with you a good bit and how she's sort of incorporated that and do you do you feel that a lot of times that these clients are coming to you and you're kind of starting a relationship and, and educating them and it, so it, it clients come to me when they're, they're looking to kind of you know whether they're looking for some something specific or they're brand new and you know the designers have been so instrumental because they open the door for us mm -hmm. to their collectors, mm -hmm. which is it's really beautiful relationship. And very few of them really are, want to dictate the art because they want their clients. So it just takes time. And I tell every collector, don't fill your walls. Be really comfortable with blank walls because that's an opportunity. Right. It's an opportunity to think and to kind of create and to make that wall be your blank canvas and don't feel the need to have everything done. Well, ironically, so how I came to you through David is we were at another person's house that had all these Kincaids all over it and we were laughing because we were like, I mean, the fact that anybody would pay anything for them and they were so uninteresting and they, you know, I love the contrast of maybe seeing something cool in mid-century but it's just a collector's piece next to something That's significant right. and yeah and um you know my friend melanie turner you know she has so much art in her house and she was a big supporter of todd murphy yeah, she and she stan was, yeah. and and they have great art and so 
it really tells a story and it, it, it's fun. It tells a story about them. Mm -hmm. And I think that once someone kind of gets the bug and sort of makes that first purchase, and again, it's not something where you have to have $10,000 to do it. I mean, you can buy one piece over time and then in 10 years you have 10 great pieces. Mm -hmm. And you have to think about it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, think about what do you want to live with? What continues to inspire you? Is it people, is it landscapes? Um, and just take your time and, um, and have someone that guides you, whether it's a friend or an, another dealer um, uh, and you know, even an Instagram site or galleries or art fairs are always good places if you go to kind of the, the, the top ones. Um, like the one you do in Paris, is that? Yeah, the Perry Photos, like and literally all the best photo galleries are together at one place. Um, uh, now there's, you know, the contemporary art fairs are incorporating a lot of photography, um, but yeah, Paris Photo and then um, uh, APAC and Art Basel in Switzerland and Miami. Um, there's a photo, um, sort of a photo Basel one that's done as well. And But, you know, photography is being so incorporated in all art forms that um, I think Perry Fit is one of the few that kind of separates it out. Mm -hmm. A couple of other European fairs mm -hmm. that do. I wanted to ask you because I know that but you sh London, show yeah. in Par in Europe, and you you have a, a big corner on that market too. Are European collectors different than American collectors? I mean, I think that um, you know, not really. It just is sometimes you know. I think that people are attracted to different things given the trends at the time um they're not so different no no, mm -mm. Okay. no. they yeah. you know they they may be more decisive because they're in an art fair and they feel like they need to make the decision mm -hmm. um really quickly versus coming to your gallery yeah, and mulling over it or emailing mm -hmm. and that kind of yeah. thing but um today because of email because of you know these sell so much um uh on you know through emails i mean i have some sales my sales director and my sales associates don't even live in Atlanta um, that are full-time. People feel like they do have time to make a decision. They don't. And because photography is multiple for mm -hmm. the most part, mm -hmm. unless it's a unique piece. Mm -hmm. um, they, you, know, you can give yourself time. I think the worst thing is feel pressured in buying something because someone's telling you that you know, it's, gonna, it's not going to be there for you tomorrow. I mean, who wants to buy work that way? You want to take your time with it. It's a big investment. Yeah, I, I guess the, the Rude Van Empel piece, though, well, I, was, well, I was always like, listen, Damn. I always say that you buy art because you love it, and if you get what you make, what you bought it for, or more, a little more, or a lot more, that's just the icing on the cake. Right. So, you know, don't look at it any other way. I'm not a fortune teller. Yeah. Just, yeah. Well, the people yeah, always ask me in real estate, what's my house going to be yeah. worth in two years? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, have never COVID, but yeah. you know, it, it, over time, you know, that typically has a certain percentage number. Um, okay. And then if somebody was interested in doing what you do or getting into the art world, what, 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 Thing, do you think I mean do you feel like you took the right path you majored in it yeah. you went to work for a gallery yeah, I think understanding art in general understanding the medium that means being in the you know understanding kind of artists so going into the art school studying art history being around artists 
taking one of those like Sotheby's classes or Christie's where you can really understand the art market part of it and then business school too because it's a business so it's kind of you know I know that like SCAD offers like gallery business you know it's mm -hmm. a business so you have to really understand how to run run a business yeah and I think so. also the, the biggest thing that helped me in in college was the memorization of images, like really opening my eyes up to seeing images and different kinds of images, um, and also understanding art in general, to be able to have references mm -hmm. of today from yesterday and how things have changed and how they're continuing to evolve. Mm -hmm. So um, I think really a strong background in different artists and the history of art, and then kind of seeing forward. Um, is important. Well, ironically, uh, the art dealer that uh, you know we were thinking uh, of buying this photograph from, which led me to the Rue Van Empel, I know that this dealer uh, did not have a background in art, but just started going to the museums in New York because yeah. he lived in New York, right? On almost on the daily, and just really you know looking at all of it and really soaking it in. And once you do that, then it sort of familiarizes your. Right. Your eyes. eyes like French when you see you know suddenly clicks one day you're like wait a minute I just saw you know even on a TV show you'll be watching something you're like oh my god there's a you know Masna Vitali in the background there your eyes start seeing it it just is attracted to it right right yeah so, so I mean there's lots of different ways to to get there but I think that you know, I always want my listeners, especially and, if there's young people, yeah. to hear, how did you do it? And yeah, and there's a great, you know, the High Museum has an incredible, they've been doing for 25 years, this program called Picturing the South, where they take an artist and they have them photograph in the South, and right now they're having a 25-year um, kind of retrospective, and it's a really incredible show with artists like Sally Mann, Richard Mishrak, um, uh, Sheila Prebright, who's a local artist that was selected, just some some wonderful photographers, Alex Soft, that you can see that photograph the South. It's a it's a it's a monumental show. Okay, I'd like to know more about that for myself yeah, personally. Yes. Well, um, I think we'll wrap things okay. up because yes, I, I want sure. people to really hear you to the end. But uh, I really appreciate you taking the time Thank to come you. here Thank and you for having me. Um, educate uh, our listeners on you know all of this. And your gallery is beautiful, and Thank I've been you. collecting from you for years, and hope to you know will continue to do so. And uh, I'm gonna you know say goodbye to you, and then I would love it if you would just uh, tell us tell the listeners about how to find you. Sure, so um, Jackson Fine Art is located on um, East Chatelon, which is right off East Basis Ferry. Um, we're at 3115 East Chatelon. Here in Buckhead, we're in a little white Tudor house. Um, it doesn't feel as uh, crazy as walking into a, a Midtown or a Chelsea Gallery in New York. It's very cozy. Um, and we're open from Tuesday through Saturday from 10 to 5, and we do require at this point because of COVID that you come in with a mask. Um, we have an opening tomorrow. It's just a daytime opening um, from a private consigner of William Eggleston. So we're, he's one of the most important color photographers of our time. We have everything from early vintage black and white to his dye transfers to C prints. Um, and also pigment prints. So it's a nice kind of like storytelling of his career and the processes of his printing and printing in general. 
and um, it's from a, a private collector, three different private collectors. So. And you have the website too. And the website's jacksonfineart.com. And all the, the all the artists that you represent yes. are on there. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, thank you. So thank much. you. Thanks so much. Oh, I appreciate okay. it.